So good to be here this morning with all of you. And I, I said it at the first service, I get to hear the worship music twice. In fact, I wish I could hear it three or four times. I, it comes to an end and I, I say, that's it? It's over? I have to wait another week, in my case, maybe six months before I... You are so blessed. We are blessed. What a, what a wonderful time of worship. Um, anyway, that last song, I, I, was, I was a puddle. Oh, mercy. What an incredible song, you guys. You did it. The church is going through a little challenge right now. A lot of staff turnover. But we remember that you've got a great leadership team. You've got a wonderful board of elders. You've got John Paul. And uh, Christ is the head of the church. So we have confidence. The history of this church has been a lot of turmoil over the years. Read the history. And yet, look what God has done. I noticed something about John when I... First year I, I met him. First year he was here. He was our youth pastor. And... Uh, I remember we were at a staff meeting, and I, I think it might have been a Wednesday, and I think it was the first time he was going to be preaching, one of the first times. So he had to prepare for that. He had a youth event that Friday night, all day Saturday, and he was getting back late Saturday night to preach. I think we were doing three services back then on Sunday morning. And I said, how are you doing? He said, uh, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Because I was saying, you know, I almost said, do you want me to preach? I mean, you've got a busy week. Do you want me to? I didn't want to, but... He said, no, no, I'm, and I, I noticed at that time, and it's true, he has an amazing bandwidth for stress, for detail, for managing everything. He's not easily rattled. So pray for him, because it's all an act. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, it's real. It's who he is. He's a remarkable man. Pray for him, though. Pray for the church. And you will come through. This is, you know, God allows these things on, in our lives. He allowed it on John's watch because he, he can trust this church to him and to the elders. So anyway, there you go. Um, all true. You probably don't even remember that, but I do. Um, thank you, John. Preaching through uh, uh, the book of or pre preaching about the kings this summer, the kings of Israel, long history. I'm going to actually take you back to the beginning, actually the second king, which is David, greatest king of Israel, a thousand years before Christ. And I'm going to take you to an incident in his life that I think was his finest hour. And it tells us so much about who he is as a, ch a child of God. And it's going to speak to us about who we are who God has called us to be as followers of his son, Jesus Christ. And so we're going we're gonna to look at the, that incident, and then we're going to read Psalm 62, which was written by David. Many scholars believe that it was written as a, in a response, as a response to that incident that happened in David's life. And then we're gonna, I'm just going to make three reflections on that um, psalm, Psalm 62. Um, but the overall idea that I want us to think about is fear and anxiety. There's run-of-the-mill anxiety that we all experience. I experienced it this morning, waking up early and feeling the jitters because I suddenly have to go from being in that nice warm cocoon. You all face it every day with work to getting out and 
being fully alert and present and up to speed and energized and all of that. And, and, and it's, it's, it's anxiety. You face it. You go to work. You, you, you have to face the traffic, everything you have to do. And all of us face that. And that is normal. It simply says that you are conscientious, that you work hard. It's not pleasant. When I was first preaching, I would sometimes be nauseous. I wouldn't sleep the whole night before. You know, back in the early days, you know, public speaking, right? You've heard what, they, what I think it was Jerry Seinfeld said about public speaking. The two greatest fears in life are public speaking and death. And actually, according to surveys, believe it or not, people fear public speaking more than they fear death. So you're at a funeral and you're speaking at the funeral. It's the one time when you wish you were the guy in the coffin. Right? Anyway, that is run-of-the-mill anxiety that we all experience. And it just says you care, you're alert, you're conscientious, and you're hardworking. We're talking about a darker, kind of sinister um, anxiety that comes into our lives sometimes. And we're going to look at that. And uh, we're going to look at it in the context of this event, this incident, David's response to it, and then some reflections. But let me pray for you and let me pray for me. Dear Lord Jesus, we ask that you would be our teacher this morning. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. All right, the incident, and I won't read the whole passage, but it happens late in David's life, just when you think everything is going to be smooth sailing from here on out. It's, he's had an amazing career, the greatest king of Israel. And now at the end of his life, he is facing an incredible problem brought about by his own folly. David had several wives, I, at least five, I'm, uh, my memory serves me, and children by all of them. He had a complicated family story. We all do. Hopefully not that complicated, but all of us have complicated family stories, and, and, and that is family life. David had the ultimate blended family, only it didn't blend too well. One of his sons, Amnon, raped one of his daughters, not his sister, but his half-sister, uh, daughter of, of uh, David, uh, Tamar, and Absalom, the half-brother of Amnon and the full brother of Tamar, murders Amnon. And David banishes Absalom from the kingdom. And in, it was an honor killing, prevalent even in cultures today, as you know. And, and if it wasn't bad enough, David, because he didn't handle it well, and you can read the whole backstory. Absalom is humiliated, and he's shamed, and he goes into hiding. He's banished from the kingdom. And the anger and the resentment and the sense of injustice for him just seethes and builds to a boiling point, to the point where he raises an army and he moves against his father. And that's the incident, And as Pete read it for us this morning. So they're fleeing. David and his whole retinue is fleeing the city of Jerusalem because their lives are in danger. Everything, he says, they're going to come quickly, overtake us, bring ruin upon us, and put the city to the sword. 
kill everyone in Jerusalem. So they're leaving, and the countryside, the people are weeping. This is the end of the kingdom, and David is weeping, and everybody's weeping. And the high priest and the other priests are bringing the Ark of the Covenant, which was a portable temple of God that contained the Ten Commandments. It contained the Aaron's staff. It contained... Uh, many of the the treasures of Israel that symbolize God's presence. And they were removing it from Jerusalem for safekeeping. And David sees it, sees them doing it. He stops them. He says, take it back to Jerusalem. That's where it belongs. If it's God's will for me to live and to come back, then I will see it again. And if not, then I'm ready. May he do to me what pleases him. And, and that's, that's the incident. And so then David writes this psalm, Psalm 62, in response to that incident. And, and let, me, let me just, I won't read it, but I'm going to uh, turn your attention back to it. If you have it there in front of you, you can, you can uh, kind of follow along. And I want to make three reflections. The first is David faces his fear. And we, we, we see that in um, verses uh, 3 and 4. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. David has no illusions about what is going to happen. He knows he's in jeopardy. He knows Absalom's intention is to kill him and topple him. And he's facing that uh, fully on. He doesn't think somehow maybe I'll uh, get out of this. Maybe it's not going to be so bad. No, this, this marks the worst thing that, you, that he, he could imagine, that you could imagine, that any of us could imagine. His own son wanting to take his life, wanting to kill his family, wanting to destroy his reputation, his honor, his glory, blot his name from history. And, uh, and, and that's what his intention is. And so David faces this. Uh, I'm, he, I'm a leaning wall. I'm a tottering fence. What a vivid, vivid image, visual image of that fence about to fall over. He's so realistic. I think this, this psalm is a very realistic and, and honest and helpful uh, understanding of anxiety, unlike so much of the advice we receive and we give. How many times has somebody said to you when you say, I'm really worried about something, oh, don't worry, don't worry. That's not helpful. That is not helpful, but we all do it. We all say it to people. Somebody who's worrying, it's like somebody who's in pain. Oh, don't feel pain. What do, you, what do you say? I feel pain. I have it. I can't just wish it away. And anxiety, when we're worried about something, it is no good to tell a person, you know, most things that we worry about in life never happen. Well, that's fine, but what about in this case? What if it does happen? And I have told that to people, and don't you know, they were the one time when it did happen. And, 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 it's, and it's a terrible thing to give that kind of facile advice, uh, superficial advice to people. It's not helpful. This is so much more realistic. He says, face, the first thing he says is face your fear. What is it that you're afraid of? Face it. And, uh, and that's what David does. He realizes what he is up against it. Um, as I said, there's routine anxiety. That is just part of life. But then there's the persistent anxiety. Pay attention to that. That's a warning. It's, it's a little bit like 
uh, I said this at the first service, um, the parsonage, uh, we love living in the parsonage, and I know John and Clancy do. It's, it's such a great house, such a great location, half a block from downtown. Everything's accessible right there to you. And, uh, but in the summertime, we'd have the windows open in the middle of the night, and a burglar alarms would go off downtown. They went off with some regularity, and it would go on and on and on and on, and you try to drown it out, and you're slamming windows, but they're loud. And I'd be thinking, oh, what, what, can't they install an alarm that doesn't trip? Or it might be a car alarm. Who are these idiots who install this stuff? It just doesn't work. It never occurred to me, maybe somebody is trying to steal that car. Maybe somebody's breaking into Andover Bank and they're taking my money. All of it. You know, you never think that. You always assume it's just normal, it's a false alarm. And we do the same thing with, with anxiety. We say, ah, oh, well, that's just, that's just life. I don't like it. It's really it's, it's eating away, but it's life. Pay attention to it. God speaks through that. Sometimes he speaks in dreams. You'll have a very anxious dream, and you wake up, and you know it is a message. You just don't know yet what it is, but you face it, and you think about it. Um, I think the baseball season, I think the Red Sox season is over. And um, what do you think, John? Maybe, maybe, maybe a slim chance of a wild, wild card. Huh? Yeah, he's, he's not going to go on the record. The Patriots are back. They're looking great. Won again last night, right? Anyway, a um, little baseball story for the real baseball aficionados, of which I'm not one, but it's a story that I remember. It uh, took place in the 1980s. A pitcher, major league pitcher, Dave Dravecki. He was, uh, played for the uh, Giants, San Francisco Giants. And uh, he was right at the height of his career. He had become a Christian in the majors. Somebody had led him to Christ. And uh, he was doing well. He was, he was um, you know, major league pitcher, 32 years old. All of his dreams fulfilled. And the Giants were looking good. They were making their way toward the playoffs. And then he noticed a lump on his pitching arm. He was a left-hander. And had it checked out, it was cancerous. So it was actually on his uh, deltoid. They ended up removing it. They said, uh, the bad news is you'll never pitch again. And uh, he thought that was the end of Dave Dravecki. He underwent all kinds of therapy, training. The next year, summer of 1989, he came back in August of that year. And he was pitching. Pitched one game, had a great game. And then he pitched a second game uh, five days later. And as he was pitching, all of a sudden the pitch went wild. Everybody wondered what happened. And he, he knew immediately his arm had broken. And the players in the dugout heard it break, heard the bone crack. And turns out the cancer was back. This time, with a vengeance, they had to take his whole left arm, his whole left shoulder, and part of his collarbone. He said when he came out of recovery, and I've always remembered these words, and they've been an encouragement to me over the years, um, he, he looked in the mirror the first time in the recovery in the hospital. And he, he couldn't believe what he saw. He said, it looked like the whole left side of my body was gone. And he said, okay, Lord, this is the hand I've been dealt. Help me to face it. And he went into a deep depression. It lasted for 30 months he was in counseling all that time, but he eventually came through it and he launched a whole new career and is a motivational speaker still. He's 62 years old now. 
And, uh, but that's what he said. I've said it many times, not in anything like that. But Lord, this is what I'm dealing with right now. You've allowed me to, this to happen to me. Help me. Help me to accept it. I don't understand it, but help me to face it and deal with it. And, uh, and that's what we have to do. That's the first thing Dave do, uh, David does. He realizes that he is up against it, and he's not going to be in denial about it. All right, second thing is that he tra- we're, to tra- we're to face our fears, we're to trace our fears. Why am I afraid? Why am I anxious? And in David's case, <clears throat> I think it's in verse 9, he realizes how vulnerable he is. Even though he's the king, even though he's had glory and power and wealth and incredible victories in battle, expanded the boundaries of Israel, ancient Israel, uh, farther than anyone else had ever done. And, and yet he realizes he's simply a vapor, just a breath. He says it. Low-born men are but a breath. The high-born but a, are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. He realizes his vulnerability. He realizes just how fragile he is. Sometimes we see that. Uh, someone that we're close to dies, or suddenly we have a reversal of our fortune, or we lose our job, uh, a marriage ends. Um, we get sick, and we realize how vulnerable human life is, just how fragile we are. In an instant, an accident, a diagnosis, in an instant, everything can change. And, and David realizes that, and, and that's why he's in fear, because it could all be gone there's a great Christian theologian, ancient theologian. Many people consider him the greatest theologian since the time of the apostles, up to perhaps Calvin and Luther in the in the sixteen in the fifteen uh, hundreds. And it was Augustine, Saint Augustine, or Augustine, pronounce it either. And he lived about four hundred years before Christ, and he he uh, became a Christian well in adulthood, and he had been a speechwriter for. The emperor, he had reached the heights of political power and fame, and then he turned away from it all and gave his life to Christ, and eventually became the bishop of Hippo in North Africa, Roman North Africa. And he said this about anxiety, and it's to me so vivid and so honest. Anxiety is the smoke from a collapsing idol. It's the smoke from a collapsing aisle. Think about it for a moment. Anxiety is, is, is vague. It's vaporous. We feel it, but it's, it's like smoke. But where there's smoke, there's fire. You trace the smoke to its source. Something is burning. And he said, when we are anxious... It's because something that we had put our hope in, an idol. And idols are good things. Mostly they're good things. An idol could be our family. It could be our job. It could be our finances. It could be our health. It could be ourself. 
It could be every, everything that we enjoy, that we look to for meaning and hope and security. That's, that, but when that is threatened, when, when we realize that it is vulnerable and it's, it's weak and we could lose it, we haven't lost it yet, but we sense it's not going to be there. It's not going to happen. It's collapsing. And that's why we're anxious. Let's just think about it for a minute. A number of years ago, I lost my phone. And that's a, that's a you know, unpleasant thing to have happen. And uh, Kathy said, well, let me call it. I said, don't bother. It was before the, you know, um, an app where you can trace it or something. And uh, I said, I had shut it off. Don't bother. I know we're not going to hear it. And uh, I called my kids. They said, Dad, where did you last see it? Right? Your mother always said that. When did you last have it? I can't remember. I can't remember. And so that, thank you, children. Doesn't help. It's like, don't worry. And... Uh, I looked, and I looked all day, everywhere, turned everything, kept going back, looking again at different places, looking in the cars, couldn't find it. Went to bed that night, and I, it was bothering me. I couldn't sleep. And I'm thinking, why is this bothering me? You know, it wasn't re- I could have replaced the phone. It wasn't the money. It wasn't even having to replace all the contacts before the days of the cloud. could have done that. I, but I said, it's bothering me. And it took me a, a while, but I kept thinking about it and thinking about it. Finally, I realized it was about control. I was careless. I was careless. I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't alert. And I misplaced it. We do that sometimes with our wallets or our car keys or something else. We're not alert. We have an accident in the car. We feel foolish. And I, and I realized it was about control. In losing control. Fearing that I was losing control. Life, you know, when you're little, you have no control of your life, then you get control. Then toward the end, you lose control ultimately and uh, to the point we have no control, and that's called death, right? Not that I was thinking about death, but I'm thinking I, w- I, wasn't, I wasn't focused, and that was bothering me. It, and when I kind of acknowledged it, I was, I was okay. Um, trace the fear. What is it that's bothering you? What is the idol that you sense is not going to be there? It may, this may not work out the way I had hoped. This dream might not come to pass. And chances are, that's what's bothering you. That's where it's coming from. The realization that is, it is collapsing, something you had hoped and counted on. All right, there you go. Uh, face your fears, trace your fears, and then, hey, a little more rhyme going on. Replace your fears. And we see David do that in an incredible way. He says, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress, I will never be shaken. Verse 5, find rest, O my soul, he says it again, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone 
is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress, I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. David puts God in the place of that idol. He puts God alone in the one place. He pushes whatever the idolatry was of power, of glory, of wealth, of fame, all of that, of life. He pushes all of that aside and puts God in the one place because God alone deserves to occupy our hearts, our souls. And the miracle of Christianity is that through Jesus Christ, the God of the universe lives in me, in you. How do you understand that? But it's true. And he alone is the one that has the rightful place. He alone is the one who can secure my life. Nothing else can. And so David does that. He replaces the idols with God. And I think it comes about in the incident that we read first from 2 Samuel, which I said I think is David's finest hour. Here he is. He's leaving. They're bringing the ark, which is his protection. It's a sign that God is with him, that everything is good. And he says, no, that wouldn't be right. It belongs in Jerusalem. That's where God's presence is ordained. If God's pleased with me, I'll see it again. If not, I'm ready. I'm ready. That's surrender. That's, that's utter relinquishment. That is how we come to a place of peace where we say, I really want to live. It's really bad that my son is doing my own flesh and blood is doing this to me. I'd really rather live. I'd rather come back and be on my throne again. I'd rather live out my days. That's my preference. But if that's not what you want, God, I'm okay. That's the school of Gethsemane. Jesus in the garden. I don't want to die. He didn't want to go to the cross. This is one of the great mysteries of faith, how God the Son, his will, in, in, in God the Father, their will is at cross purposes in some way that I can't understand, and yet it's, it's, it's there. If it's your will, I don't want to go to the cross. But then finally, this surrender. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. That is the prayer of relinquishment. And that's where real peace and security come. It's saying, God, you know, I, I really would love to meet my soulmate, fall in love, and find that person. But if that's not meant to be, I'm okay. I want that. But if that's not meant to be, I'll be okay. I really want this dream to be fulfilled. I really want kids. I really want grandkids. But if that's not in the cards, then I believe you can fulfill me and give me the life that I long for and that I seek. That's... I'm not there. <laughs> That's what I want. 
That's what I want. I want to be in that place where I say, God, I could go right or I could go left. Whatever you want, it's fine with me because I trust you so much. You're not going to let me down. It's going to be good, whatever happens. That is what David does here, and that's the secret, I think, of his life more than anything else. That one incident, his finest hour, where he put it all at the foot of God. He put God in that one place. Well, I found my phone. That was good news. Didn't work out so well for David. He did, his life was spared, and he went back on his throne, but his son Absalom was killed. And his, his words, the tragic words of any parent who's lost a child, my son, my son, Absalom, Absalom, I wish it had been me instead of you. And that's how that story ends. Um, what, are you, what are you facing? Are you facing some anxiety right now, some deep fears? Face them. Face them. Trace them. Figure out what is. Maybe take some time, and it might take time. What is it that's bothering me? Maybe you'll figure it out. Maybe you won't. I remember a number of years ago, for whatever reason, I started experiencing a sense of dread every morning when I would wake up. And it would evaporate. It would go away as I kind of get functioning. But every morning, I would lie in bed, and this sense of dread, anxiety would come over me. It was not pleasant. It went on for months and months, and I had people praying for me to no avail. I asked Andrea Lerman to pray for me. You want somebody to pray for you? Ask Andrea. She, was, she said, I've been praying, Jack, and I don't know if this is what God's saying to you, but I think he's saying, just accept this. Trust it to him. Let him, let him if it's meant to be, then he will give you the grace to face it. And uh, so I began praying that way. And a month or so went by, nothing changed. And then almost overnight, it disappeared. Suddenly as it had come. I have no idea what it meant. But it, it's never returned. And uh, God answered it. But I had to face it. And I, had to, I tried to trace it, but I couldn't. What is it that's bothering you? Face it, trace it down. And then, is it an idol? There's loom too large. Can you really live fully and completely if that idol collapses? Would you be okay? And if you can say that, then you will be okay. And then put Jesus Christ in the one place. If you've never done that, why not do that? Why not put Jesus Christ in the one place? The place of your heart. Maybe put him back on there if you've kind of drifted away a little bit. And, uh, and then encourage people if they're going through something. David says in the end of the psalm that God is strong and God is loving. That's all you need to know. He's strong, he can do it, and he's loving. He will do it. Amen.